and we need to address the structural racism and environmental racism that's going on. I can't just say this is, you know, you should just eat some more broccoli and um, change your eating habits and that's that because there's so much more, there's so many different layers of racism or policies and procedures that have been set up and um, are at a disservice to black people. Hello and welcome to the East Lansing Insider. It's Wednesday, November 18th. I'm Andrew Graham here with Alice Drager and Emily Joan Elliott. Alice, how are you doing? I'm good. Let's do this. Emily? I'm hanging in there. We just, I should, just as a note of disclosure, we just got over the giggles. So <laughs> that's where we're at today. Um, before we get into anything else, though, I do want to bring a fundraising update with Emily and Jody. Hi, it's Emily Joan Elliott, Eli's managing editor, and I'm here right now with our general manager, Jody Spicer, who's going to give us an update on our sustainability campaign. So where are we time-wise in our sustainability campaign, Jody? Hi, Emily. Great to be here again. Um, it's actually a really exciting time. We are just now in the third week of our eight-week campaign. Great. Um, so how are we doing on our campaign? It's very exciting. I have the awesome job of being able to see donations when they come in. So I feel like I've got, I'm the lucky one. Um, but we are aiming for at least 100 new donors. And we already have 22 new donors, which is awesome. So we're like 25% of the way there. Um, so that's really exciting. Uh, and we still have uh, quite a bit of matching funds available so I think I talked about this last time. We are part of a national matching grant called Newsmatch. So we have uh, funding available from Newsmatch, but we also have a group of local core donors here in East Lansing that are supporters of Eli. And together, that's about $30,000 that we have. Uh, and the exciting thing about that is that for every dollar that someone donates, we're able to match that. So we're, like I said, the third week in, and we still have quite a ways to go. So there's plenty of matching funds available. Great. And if someone is interested and able to donate to Eli, how can they do that? There's lots of different ways that we have for um, people to be able to give, um, whether you want to do that through member to member through the credit union, or if you want to do through PayPal or send us a check. Um, any of those ways are awesome, and you can find out all about them by going to our website, which, of course, is eastlansinginfo.news slash donate. And in that, um, when you go there, it'll give you all the various ways that, um, that we accept donations. Great. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I want to let our listeners know while you're at eastlansinginfo.news, you could check out different articles about our sustainability campaign. And I recently wrote an article about why I report for Eli, which talks about why I love this job and why it's so important to me. So if you're on the fence about giving, hopefully that'll tip the scales in our favor. 
Awesome. Well, and I'd be happy to come back in another week or two and I'll continue kind of giving an update. We'll also be um, sort of more regularly reporting on um, amounts as we kind of enter um, the, you know, the end of our first month. So in another week or so, I'd love to come back and give you guys an update on where we're at. Great. Well, hopefully we'll have something to be thankful for after Thanksgiving. <laughs> that sounds great. Thanks, Emily. Thanks, Jody. Thank you, Emily and Jody, for that note on fundraising. I also want to draw our listeners' attention to an event Eli's going to be hosting this Sunday, uh, November 22nd at 7 p.m. It's going to be on Zoom, and it's basically, uh, we use, we when we could meet in person, we kind of called it office hours, but we just want to be available to listeners, both to if they want to participate and um, ask questions of us, learn more about Eli, learn more about our reporting, ask us about stories, or just sit and listen in and see what we talk about and other people talk about. That's going to be happening on Zoom at 7 p.m. on Sunday, November 22nd, so keep your eyes out for that. So now on to the headlines, the the really only thing for us to discuss today or that that is we're going to discuss right now is the the worsening COVID situation in not just East Lansing or not just Michigan, but across the country and the the various different ways that is impacting life and what's the the sort of landscape and things going forward so i'm gonna ask you emily first you've done most of the reporting on this for us what's been what's sort of your read of the landscape right now the situation to put it bluntly is pretty dire um i was prepared and i did sit in on Linda Vale's press conference yesterday, the Ingham County Health Department holds a press conference every Tuesday. And leading up to that, Heather Brothers, another reporter on staff for Eli, sent me an article from the Detroit Free Press saying John Foran, the spokesperson for Sparrow, told the Free Press that Sparrow expects to hit capacity by Thanksgiving, which is a week from tomorrow. They're at 81% capacity. And in Ingham County hospitals, there's, I believe, ballpark 150 people hospitalized. About 40 to 45% of them are Ingham County residents. The others are from elsewhere in the state. Sparrow Lansing is one of the biggest hospitals serving the region. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but our numbers are on the rise in Ingham. They had the highest daily total of, of roughly 250 cases. Linda Vale said they're kind of ballpark averaging 150 cases a day. Ingham County Health Department cannot keep up with contact tracing. So if you find out you're COVID positive, you need to tell your contacts yourself. They are focusing on people under 18 over 65 and instances where death has occurred. So they're not stopping. They're just inundated. And uh, Emily, can you explain what counts as a contact so people understand it doesn't have to be people you breezed by on the street? Right. This isn't the person who you passed on the sidewalk because someone couldn't jump to the other side of the road in time. This is 15 minutes cumulative in a 24-hour period, Linda explained. So if I... And within six feet of Alice for five minutes. And then I see her three hours later for five minutes. And then another three hours later for five minutes. That's 15 minutes. It's not 15 consecutive minutes. It's cumulative. And Linda Vale said, if you were 
you have to be both masked and six feet away to not count as a contact. So if you were masked, but within three feet of someone, you should also contact that person, for example. Um, so it's not everyone. You don't have to call Meyer up and say, I was in there on Tuesday, because presumably you weren't standing next to anyone for a prolonged period of time. But this is people who you were having more than a fleeting interaction with. And we should explain, Emily, when you gave the number of people in Sparrow, that's the number of people with COVID. And one of the big concerns is once hospitals reach capacity, they lose the ability to fully respond to people who may be coming in with non-COVID problems. And so one of the big concerns here, I know young people feel invincible. A concern would be somebody gets in a car accident, somebody has a relatively mild heart attack. These are the kinds of things that as a stress system don't go nearly as well as in a system that is not reached capacity and completely stressed. So a major concern should be not just avoid COVID, but frankly, avoid injury, avoid illness, avoid anything you can at this point that might add further stress to the healthcare system. Um, everybody really has to take care of themselves right now in terms of being super safe, because once the system reaches that kind of capacity, everything becomes dangerous. Right. And Alice, you might know this better than I do, but from reading some of the national takes from the New York Times and the Washington Post, once a hospital's at 85%, it's hard to give everyone the quality care they deserve. So even if every Absolutely. bed isn't full, if you have short-staffed, because that is becoming an issue, some people have retired or left their positions due to the stress of COVID. And Medical professionals aren't quarantined when they're treating patients with COVID because then there wouldn't really be medical professionals to treat COVID. But with this wide community spread, you're having more nurses and doctors having a family member who has COVID. And in that instance, they are recommended to quarantine because that's an obvious prolonged contact. And this, and this I is think a big concern because we do start losing healthcare personnel. We're already seeing this in a really stressed way. You know, so, I mean, just to give an example, my spouse is a physician who works at MSU, and he also sometimes rounds at Sparrow Hospital. He's headed back onto the wards on December 2nd. What he does when he's dealing with COVID patients is he comes home, enters through the basement level of our house, strips down to his underwear, throws everything immediately in the washing machine, runs upstairs, takes a shower, and cleans off completely before he goes near me or our son these kinds of things keep us safe. We've been through this before. He's done COVID ward work before. But um, really, we're in a situation at this point where if somebody like him does through simple community contact get exposed, then he's taken out of the mix. And so we're seeing that happen. And the system's not going to get stronger. It's going to get weaker. So at this point, everybody really needs to take a lot of care. I think that was the, the biggest point I took away from everything Linda Vale said on Tuesday is that we're back to community spread. It's not the health department chasing down outbreaks and pinpointing things and seeing like it's, it's sort of mapped out, but that it's just COVID is extremely prevalent in the community and you need to be taking social distancing measures and wearing a mask and limiting your contact with other people and staying home as much as you possibly can, because it's just, we're back to like where things were in March and April, if not worse or headed there. Well, in East Lansing, it's much worse. East Lansing right. did not see what East Lansing is seeing now when there right. was a big push in March. That was largely confined to the Detroit metro area for Michigan. Now we have a situation that's really dangerous. 
Yeah, right. I want to also add to what Andrew was saying. Linda Vale was clear that they just don't have the staff capacity at Ingham County to do the contact tracing, but she said, even if we hired the amount of staff we have, it doesn't matter. Contact tracing at this point is not the most effective public health measure to be taking. That works when there is an outbreak. There was an outbreak and clusters when restaurants reopened in late June. You can, that was just a finite number of people. And you could tell those people to stay inside and it stops when it's everywhere in the community. The whole community really has to cut back on their contacts. And the most devastating thing that came out of the press conference is we've had our youngest death in Ingham County. A 26-year-old man with disabilities passed away from COVID. It was discovered during an autopsy. That's how the health department became aware of it. So I just want to take this honestly as a PSA to say, wear your mask. I have no idea how this man contracted COVID, but if there wasn't as much community spread, there is a likelihood he still could have been here today. And we need to do a better job of taking care of our most vulnerable people in our society. And one thing we do want to remind folks is that it's still possible to support local businesses and important to support local businesses, even while this is going on. So take out food, really easy. Call the restaurant directly. It's, it's better than using an app if you can do so, because it actually means they get all of the money rather than some of the money going to the app. Call up your favorite restaurant, talk to them about what you should order, put your order in, run over there, put your mask on, pick it up. If you're doing holiday shopping, give a call to the stores or go to their websites that are in East Lansing. Ask them, hey, give me some gift ideas. Help me pick some stuff out over the phone. Pick it up at the door. There's plenty of businesses in East Lansing that will accommodate you, be happy to talk with you on the phone. There's so many things in East Lansing. We have record stores like Flat Black and Circular. We've got uh, bird stores like Wild Birds Unlimited. We've got clothing stores and jewelry stores like Sundance Jewelers. We've got um, just so many wonderful things, Clever Clover and Curious Bookstore and so many great shops and restaurants in East Lansing. You can still pump money into that economy and help those businesses survive, but just do so as much as possible virtually over the phone and then run over, put your mask on, pick it up yourself. Yes, and we hope to be running several articles in the upcoming weeks about how to safely do these as well. Yeah, I think the other thing we should point out too is that this kind of ties in something we've heard from city staff is that getting around downtown, getting where you want to go and specifically having a place to park is not an issue right now. You will be able to park downtown with ease. You're still going to have to pay, but like, just it's not it's not something that I think you have to do, but it's something that if you can do it and you want these these places to be able to exist in six months, we don't know what the next six months is going to be like with this virus. So I think as as much as you can to help really keep the things in East Lansing that you like about East Lansing going, I, I can't encourage that enough. And that's not just downtown. That's Brookfield Plaza. That's everywhere. That's Trowbridge. Yeah. That's up on Lake Lansing Road, a country where... Uh, forgetting the name of that place up there, but Coolidge Court. It's all over the place in East Lansing. Businesses need you. Keep it going. So moving on the conversation from COVID onto uh, some updates from council and reporting earlier in the week, Alice, you had a story about the infrastructure work that's going to be happening along Evergreen Avenue and how People's Church is not very happy about it. Could you explain that? 
Yeah, this has been a long time coming, this infrastructure work that's going to redo sewers and water mains and streets on Evergreen Avenue and also Albert Avenue, finally connecting Albert Avenue across that parking lot we all cut across to get to Big B. Now you're going to be able to drive, well, when it's done, all the way from Abbott Road to where that Big B is on an actual road that will be Albert Avenue. And the road going up north from Evergreen will actually turn into a greenway. The whole area will be rebuilt. This has been discussed for ages. I think it's something like 12 or 15 years. But council finally approved an actual budget for this on Tuesday uh, last week. And so it's $1.6 million, including contingency to get all this done. But People's Church is not thrilled because it takes away a lot of parking spots, surface parking spots. And they've been used to being able to have their folks park pretty easily in surface lots and surface street parking all in that area. So if you're interested in that story, um, go ahead and check that out at Eli. It's on our front page right now. And the other two stories coming out of council last night that we've written about so far, we've got a third coming from Emily later, but TechSmith, which is a software company currently headquartered in, we had a correction over this, it's Aladdin Township, but I always think of it as Okemos because it's a mile from Okemos High School and I went to Okemos High School, so I just... I got to beat that out of my brain, but they want to move their headquarters to a spot that's actually on campus, but Michigan State University has given control to the MSU Foundation to attract high-tech business development, basically, and TechSmith wants to build their headquarters there. They want to, I believe they said they would, it would be 250 jobs would be there, eventually becoming 300, um, but the, the big story is that they're seeking a PA 238 personal property tax exemption, which is a common tool that cities use to attract development. Um, and one that they say is kind of contingent on like the, the project is contingent a little bit on that um, exemption. But one caller into the meeting, Ann Hill expressed basically that she doesn't think TechSmith should be granted the exemption, not necessarily because she's, opposed to the idea of TechSmith having their headquarters there. And I don't think, I mean, when council members talked about it, they spoke very glowingly about TechSmith and like the desire to have that sort of company. But basically with Ann Hill's point was these companies come in and build these buildings where hundreds of people will be. And it, it, it adds increased pressure to infrastructure, specifically water and sewer lines. But also and that, police and fire. And police and fire. And that, when you're tax exempting these people, you're basically not having them pay as much of a fair share for these services that they're going to be getting. And I think that's a very reasonable argument because effectively, as she pointed out, the burden moves on to the rest of the taxpayers. That said, um, of course, one of the things council is really interested in is that this will bring substantial taxes in terms of income tax, right. Lansing, and also substantial property taxes, even though it's a tax-free property that they'll tax the building itself. And so that's one of the reasons I think why council is really interested in it. Right. I also think looking beyond the 10 year picture, TechSmith is a company that you would want to be headquartered in your city. Um, but the action they took on that is on November 24th. So the next council meeting, they're going to likely set a public hearing on some date in December to discuss creating a tax-exempt district for that proposed headquarters. The last thing we want to touch on right now is an update that was given about the parking system to council on Tuesday night. Uh, Tom Fehrenbach, 
basically said that right now, in terms of finance, finances, the parking system remains solvent, but for how long and how they will remain solvent is basically the question. Alice, you have a, a pretty firm grasp on what the situation is and what they might try and do. Yeah, so if if I were using a, a verbal emoji, I would use the equivalent of that Edward Munch scream. <laughs> because <laughs> it is bad. Uh, so the situation is that the parking system is dipping heavily into its reserve fund balance and also putting off massive amounts of needed upkeep. And so basically the only reason why it's still going is because they had some money left in the bank and because they've put off things that really ought to be done in terms of maintenance. It's, it's really, really bad. So our parking system has historically had a lot of problems with money. At peak time usage, it's only ever reached about 65%, which is dismal for a peak time usage for a parking system. Right now, it is down way lower than that. And so revenues are down something like 38% below what expectations would be, and expectations are already kind of crummy. So it's, it's bad. It's ugly. In addition to that, the parks and rec system is losing money all over the place because they're not bringing in money from users. In addition to that, it looks like the income tax is going to be squashed because all of those folks who are commuters to MSU normally working in East Lansing are generally working from home and they won't have to pay East Lansing tax if that's the case for the nine months they've been working at home. So I wrote to city council this morning and asked to get an update at some city council soon with regard to the budget, because I'm sort of doing this back of the envelope, but I'd like to hear from the city um, finance folks themselves. What are we looking at? I don't think we're looking at anything very pretty. No, I, I would be really surprised if any municipal budgets are looking great headed into fiscal year. Well, the good news is the state even. funding to cities is it appears to be okay. It seems like it's going to be kept and it's going to be kept up at the level that's normal. So that's really good news. But East Lansing is losing money in a lot of other places. Right. All right. And next, I have an interview that I did with City Council member Dana Watson. So I'm here today with East Lansing City Council member Dana Watson. Dana, how are you today? I'm doing good. I'm at home, working from home on my lunch right now. Lovely. Um, Dana today is here to join me to talk about the sort of worsening COVID situation in not just the city of East Lansing, but the state of Michigan as a whole. And I wanted to touch on a specific aspect with you, Dana, following last night's council meeting, where you guys discussed racism as a public health crisis. And we know that COVID has in particular affected people of color at an adverse rate. And so I just wanted to ask you about that, that perspective and you as a, as a woman of color addressing that issue and, and your perspectives on how how failures to address COVID spread has adversely affected people like you? Yeah, um, in the beginning of the epidemic, I when we were sent home, like in March, um, it might have been a couple months later, I was invited to join a racial disparities COVID-19 team. And um, our efforts were to make sure we were testing a higher number of people of color because a higher number of people of color were dying from COVID. And when we talk about our racial disparities work now, 
we've actually been able to close that margin as far as COVID-19 goes, which feels really good um, that we were able to achieve this with all the talk about racism and the disparities that we've known about in so many different ways for Black Americans and for people of color, we were able to focus on this disparity of COVID-19 and reduce that disparity. And so again, it just goes to show with paying attention and addressing, um, we can really close some gaps. Right. And that kind of falls in line with a little bit of, I believe you mentioned it at council last night during the discussion of East Lansing being or trying to be an anti-racist city. And I just wanted to ask you about um, sort of what, what, how do you, how do you see that? And where do you see that? Um, Is it stuff like this with specifically addressing um, some health disparities or sort of how, how do you see that? And how do you, how does that manifest? It's so much. Um, something I've learned during this epidemic is I can, as a public health health educator, I might go out and talk to people about um, being healthier. But I also need to address, and we need to address, the structural racism and environmental racism that's going on. I can't just say this is, you know, you should just eat some more broccoli and um, change your eating habits. And that's that because there's so much more, there's so many different layers of racism or policies and procedures that have been set up and um, are at a disservice to black people. And so it's not, it's about addressing it from so many different angles and remembering who wins and who loses when policies and procedures are set up and things are in place when you go back and and break it down by race or you break it down by gender um you can it tells a it can tell a different story and it's important to bear that in mind and make changes when we need to right so you you mentioned obviously the public health disparities and environmental racism. What are or the, the environmental disparities caused by racism to be precise? What are some other areas I guess where you have observed or or could could be addressed in East Lansing? So we've been talking about the police and um that is something that uh, can be looked at more deeply and um, we can make some adjustments um, so that same things are happening um, for all people of the public. And um, I tend to think about stuff like um, hiring practices if um, you know that your this city is comprised of this amount of people, this percentage of people, but you don't see that in your workforce, it's time to ask some questions and not. And part of the problem is 
um, we've been doing it this way. Um, we're not doing anything wrong, but that's not understanding that that way um, benefited some people and didn't benefit others. And so again, it's just time to think outside the box on um, how we get work and get workers. Right. Moving the conversation back to COVID-19, <clears throat> obviously the state has issued new orders, uh, the Department of Health and Human Services to be specific epidemic orders that go into effect or have gone into effect um, by the time people will be listening to this. They don't actually change much in terms of East Lansing in terms of schooling, but right. I think the the big question is how they're going to affect businesses moving to restaurants, moving to takeout and stuff like that. Um, what What's some stuff that you're, you're, you and council are keeping an eye on or or are particularly maybe worried about in trying to stop the spread of COVID, but also not hang business owners out to dry to some extent. During last night's council meeting, we, there were ideas that were brought up to keep the businesses afloat or get business to the businesses still during this difficult time. And um, and we proposed this outdoor gathering. And um, when you gather outdoors, um, you're less likely to um, spread or come in contact with COVID. And so just the idea of what we can move forward quicker to um, set this part of it up. Right. But it's... Um, it is, it's a tough time and, um, you know, some of us, different groups of us can just get sent home and still do our work and other groups of us needed to show up somewhere to do our work and, um, and that's changed and yeah, we're, we're constantly thinking about it and, um, hoping that this ends soon. And that we can help out the people that um, it's affecting the most, the businesses and the workers. Yeah, I'll make my my personal shout out to the East Lansing businesses and re restaurants in particular that are trying to make it make it work with just takeout. If you can, if you can, I recommend trying to get some takeout. Um, you, you and I talked earlier in the week about asking some lighter questions. So on that note, what? Uh, What's a what's a go to takeout meal if you're ordering out? What I won't I won't make you pick a favorite restaurant in East Lansing or something. But what's what's a oh, food yeah. what's a food you you go for? Oh okay. Um, I was all ready to pick out a restaurant, um, <laughs> and uh, so I've got three kids, and um, they got me to try out the DoorDash, and um, two of my kids love sushi. Um, Another kid um, likes more uh, like lo mein noodles, um, so those shops for pickups. And I've been excited about some of the newer um, craft beer brewery places, place that opened up and um, stopping in there or being able to pick up um, some food or, or drinks from there. Right. I got to say we... Uh... My family ordered Crunchy's Burgers Takeout last night. 
because my mom had a had a hankering. So really, again, anybody out there just from a from a human perspective, if you can afford to to throw a little business towards some some local places you like, they need it badly. Um, yeah, definitely. And um, some people in an effort to support the businesses decide once a week or however they work it out, I'm going to support my local businesses by picking up food from there. And um, for those of us that are seeing savings because we are at home, um, I would definitely encourage supporting our businesses and getting some meals from them. Awesome. Well, Dana, I thank you very much for joining me today. I think this was a really, really interesting and illuminating discussion. And once again, thank you. You're welcome. Is there anything I can mention? Anything you want to mention? Yes, there's something. So it was along the lines of COVID. It's along the lines of COVID. And um, what I wanted to mention and just re-encourage is what we're learning about the purpose of masks and how beneficial they are um, to reducing the spread. And um, I just also wanted to encourage us to individually figure out how we can slow the spread. Sometimes when I'm figuring out, hanging out with a friend or friends, I've probably just hung out um, uh, with up to two people that were not a part of my family. We talk about where we've been um, so that we can make decisions. And sometimes that decision is we just hang out outside and have our mask on and social distance. And I think with the holidays coming up, Thanksgiving in particular, it's a tough time um, because we have to make some tough decisions. And um, hopefully going forward, we will see the benefits and um, be able to gather with people again in larger amounts later on in 2021. Right on. Well, Dana, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you. So now Alice and I want to briefly go over uh, a story that I published on Tuesday about ongoing issues we've had with transparency in FOIA. Um, Just real briefly. So Alice, you said you said just before this, we'll we'll go over the hits. So what are some of the hits? So first of all, FOIA is the Freedom of Information Act, and it is the law that allows us and everybody else who's citizens to access information from our governments. So basically any kind of existing documentation you can ask to see from your government. So we use FOIA for all sorts of things like trying to um, look into correspondence, things people have sent to the city with information in it that we're trying to get, or we try to look at pay records in terms of who gets paid what in the city so we can understand whether or not there's equity going on. We try to look at um, police videos, all these kinds of things. And so some of the greatest hits, Andrew, you went over these in your great article. Um, I, I guess we could start with the first issue, which is that the city of East Lansing almost always takes the full length of time allowed by law, which is 15 business days, so three weeks, not counting holidays, um, to answer almost anything. And this includes when I ask for the most basic, simple stuff for them to give me. So for example, when the study commission, study committee on a independent police oversight commission met the first time, there was a reference in that meeting to 13 documents that had been given the study commission. I wanted to see the 13 documents, no big deal, right? So I 
try asking, they don't answer. I file a FOIA. I say, give me these 13 documents. They tell me they need three weeks to find these documents, which were given the day before to a group of 11 people. So obviously they know where the 13 documents are. And in fact, after I complained to counsel, they immediately sent me the link, which was to a drive, an electronic drive that had the 13 documents. This was not hard. Similar to that, there was a case where I was trying to look at the site plan for, I think it was the Royal Blahakis project. I don't remember which. And the city's planning staff was actively working on bringing that site plan forward to the planning commission. And the claim was the city needed three weeks to find the site plan and get it to me. In spite of the fact that it's, again, electronic document that they literally were working on so they know where it is. It's just a game. Well, in the, in the uh, you FOIA'd for the um, responses to the RFP for the center city bond refinancing and you were sent after three weeks, like two emails, two emails. and then a link to a page that had more information on it. And so oh. then you were like, there, you were told that no information had been left out but then information had been left out. It was very obvious that information had been left out because they were pointing me to a page that had evidence that there was more information that they had not given me. So like they literally point, hey, Alice, over there, you can see that there's more stuff that we're not giving you, even though we're claiming we're giving it to you. So in this situation, I was made to wait three weeks for practically nothing. And then on top of that, I end up having to file a, a appeal with the mayor asking to be given the things I was asking for in the first place. And I've not yet heard back from the mayor on this, but it's patently ridiculous. So basically they're just making me wait and wait and wait. I know why they're doing this. They're doing it because they don't want to let me know who answered on the bond issue. Our reporting has just been too good. That's the answer. So the the last one I'll ask you about, because I know this is your personal favorite, is the detailed billing statements for legal services. That about sums it up, but please do, te- please do tell the listeners. Okay, so as many of our listeners and readers know, we have a new city attorney who's come in. And so we've been trying to figure out what has the city of East Lansing really been spending on legal bills? And the reason is we've had the city attorney, the McGinty firm, Tom Yaden, but that's only really part of what's been spent. And so we filed a FOIA trying to figure out what all the bills were from all the different law firms and all the different lawyers. And we got these back, and Nathan Andrus, who's our data analyst, is entering it all. And we come upon the bills for the employment law firm, Keller Tama, who provides employment services, legal services to the city. And they're really bizarre. There are these, her service is rendered, and then it has a number. But there's no explanation what services have been rendered, what the hell we're paying them for, why it comes to $1,242.32. Clearly, there's some meaning behind that number, right? And then in three cases, the bills have some other client's name written at the top. It's just hand crossed out and it says City of East Lansing written in. And I'm like, this is just bizarre. So we asked for detailed billing statements. So I write to George Lahan, a city manager. I say, is this for real? These bills from Keller Tom look really strange. And he writes back and basically says, oh, we didn't realize you wanted the itemized billing statements. My, my FOIA request said detailed billing statements. So I'm being told that I should have said itemized billing statements, like whatever. So he's making us wait another week to give us that. I mean, again, and they already made us wait the full three See, weeks. <laughs> I believe today is the day we're supposed to get them, if I'm oh not mistaken. Oh my gosh, you're right. It's Christmas, Andrew. We're going to get it's it. No, November 18th. Christmas came early. Why we paid Keller Tom a various Well, my, my, my favorite bit from all of the different FOIA stuff that you sort of shared with me and I sifted through to come up with this report was the letter you got after requesting a cover sheet for the, I believe it was the fire department materials. Oh, man. So you you requested, we were finally given the materials after we were told we weren't, 
in a way that wasn't the way the legal process is supposed to work. And we finally get what we're asking for. But there's supposed to be a cover sheet saying your request has been approved. Here's what's in here. Here's what has been redacted or left out for whatever reasons. Mm -hmm. Didn't have that. And so we asked for it. And rather than getting that, you, I believe you got a letter saying, well, we answered your request and yeah, some stuff was redacted. This is what was redacted in all these documents, not like the official letter. And it was signed FOIA coordinator, no name. And then we later found out when I believe you asked. Who um, is FOIA coordinator? Who's the FOIA coordinator? And it is George Lahanis. Who apparently is I, worried I, about writing his name on a letter. I don't know. And it, it's just... It's crazy. It's Andrew. odd. It's just crazy. And then, you but, know, I've heard through the grapevine that the city manager complains about how much staff time we use with regard to Freedom of Information Act. I just want to point out two things. Well, three things. Number one, it's our right. It's everybody's right to, to open government. In fact, he kind of brags about open government, which is awesome, but then it should be open government. Secondly, if they just gave us the stuff we asked for as reporters, much of the time we wouldn't need to use FOIA, right? If they just gave us what we're asking for, yeah. give me the 13 documents from the study committee, don't make me FOIA it. Give me the site plan, don't make me FOIA it. The Publish third thing RFP being, responses, stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. And the third thing being that, honestly, we would not waste so much time on the part of staff if they actually answered the requests that we submit. So, for example, yes, we've had to go back and forth and back and forth on the fire department FOIA, which, was, by the way, was about trying to figure out how many people get injured at our jail, a significant issue if there is an issue. Also, you know, back and forth and back and forth on the legal bills with Keller Tama. We wouldn't use a lot of staff time if they just give us the stuff and not make a back and forth about it. So I'm, you can tell, a little frustrated. <laughs> what six years of non-legal FOIA fights have done to Alice? Actually, eight years, ten years, eight, something like eight that. Eight years, because probably before, longer than that. Before Eli, I was foying. There is a wonderful moment, which you absolutely can erase from this if you don't want to get into this, but where St. Anne's Lofts opened, and I was pretty sure it opened without a certificate of occupancy, which is crazy yet true. And they were letting people in the building with no signed certificate of occupancy. So I went down to City Hall, happened to have my son with me. He was about 12 years old at the time. Went into the building department and said, show me the certificate of occupancy. They said they were told not to give me anything. I was like, are you kidding me? Anyway, they would uh, not give it to me. It's due to me by law. So I walked down to the city clerk's office, who was then Marie Wicks. Marie Wicks like shook her head, came upstairs with me to the building department, said to the building department, hand it over. And they were like, but we were told, and she said, hand it over. And to make small talk with my son, who was like watching all this, Marie Wicks turns to my son and says, do you know what the Freedom of Information Act is? And my son starts explaining it to her, not realizing <laughs> she's the city clerk. She thought he wouldn't know. And she was like, Wow. So long story short, my son became uh, a reporter for Eli. Four years later, Marie recruited him to be an election poll worker for the city, blah, blah, blah. But these these situations are a little frustrating. East Lansing Info, nosy so you don't have to be. <laughs> nosy because it is your right to have a nosy news that, team. That too. I mean, we wouldn't be doing our jobs if we weren't. Um, exactly. But that's just, we just wanted to highlight these transparency issues that we wrote about and that we we just... We don't get into these, you know, spats and fights over this stuff because we think it's just like fun and funny and haha, but because we're trying to get information that we think is important and that is our right. And, and we're not alone. Kyle Kaminsky yeah. this week has a great piece at City Pulse talking about his attempts to get information about policing in Lansing involving a case where he was unjustly stopped. Um, and he's trying to find out stuff from the police there and running into the same sorts of problems. So this is not special to East Lansing, but we do feel like East Lansing should make itself special in being good about answering FOIAs. Yeah, agreed. But 
Thank you, Alice. This was an enlightening conversation. And I encourage everybody to read Andrew's report. It's really well done. And that's all today on this edition of the East Lansing Insider uh, for Alice Drager and Emily Joan Elliott. I'm Andrew Graham, and thank you for listening. Thank you. Stay safe out there. Indeed.